You've heard four segments to open this program. The first is the traditional Irish song, Rising of the Moon, Where Under the Green, into an Orangeman song. First, the Irish Catholic song, the battle cry, you might say, of those fighting up north. And, and then you have the others, the Protestants, the uh, member of the Royal Ulster Constabulary is the voice you heard, a uh, member of that played by Brian Dennehy, a remarkable performance and an incredible player, the rat in the skull. In between, you heard the voice of an art critic, uh, Alex Elliott, describing the Goya in the Prado, which two guys are in the ditch clobbering each other. And a sense, this is what this incredible play by Ron Hutchinson, The Rat in the Skull, is all about. And with Brian Donahue, who is absolutely magnificent in the key role of Nelson, the Ulsterman, the Ulster cop, is Steve Robman, the director of this production. And it's what theater is all about, what theater is really all about. It excites you, it destroys you, and it, it revives you. And it's all about more than about the Irish troubles up north. It's about what happens. It's about two guys in a ditch, what Goya was talking about. It's at the Wisdom Bridge Theater. It's going to run there for about six weeks, but it's it's something you have to see. And so, in listening to it, Brian Dennehy, we're talking to you now, and your three, by the way, your three colleagues were great in the two. Yeah, they're all wonderful. In listening to it, and Steve Robin, just the three, these four elements, you see related, don't you? That you oh, have. yes, absolutely. Uh, they, uh, I think Hutchinson's point is that, uh, one of many points is that both sides have become trapped by history and by roles which aren't are, are examined that the average uh, radical on both sides, in fact, the average political participant on both sides, are leading unexamined lives. And they're trapped into these roles, these violent, vicious roles, uh, uh, that, and obviously that cycle, before anything else happens, that cycle has to be broken, that there has to be uh, awareness, self-awareness, negotiation, thought, and, uh, and some kind of planning. It's two fellows in a ditch, uh, is what it is, and... If you stop for a minute to try to talk to the other guy, you may just get hit in the head. So no one stops and no one talks. It is what Greek tragedy is all about. And of course, it's been going on there for 300 years and more. I guess that's what makes it a tragedy. And Ron, who is a Protestant from Northern Ireland, has written, I think, what is a very balanced portrait. Ron in the playwright. Yes, a, a very balanced uh, a portrait of the whole situation. And it has the savagery and the intensity uh, and also a wonderful sense of poetry. I mean, he is also a very poetic voice, so that there are very, very many levels that this play can be enjoyed. Uh, uh. Steve Robin, you're the director, and I'm thinking, you know, Brian mentioned the Greek tragic aspect. As I thought of immediately, I know, at the end, when everybody was drained and seeing it, of course, standing, cheering in the production. It has that, doesn't it? Well, not only does it have that, but what, what always surprises me is how many gags there are in it, too. There are a lot of laughs. He's a very yeah. funny writer. Yeah. All the plays have these kind of, I mean, some of it's pretty black humor. But there are some terrific jokes in it as well. I wouldn't try to sell the play as a comedy. But just as the ideological struggles in the play um, are quite balanced, so is the tone of the piece, so that it's not sort of unmitigated slamming in the head all the time. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons it's a good night in the theater, if I don't say so myself. Of course it has the humor, the humor, but it's not gag humor. It's the humor that comes out of two different cultures. Yeah. One, where well, I say two different cultures, because the Protestant and the Catholic one, these two guys, a little different from that British 
overseer, the British. Both these break it down a bit. Who these the four characters in it? Let's break this down. Where it is? What's <coughs> taking place? And it's in a set it up. It's in the London jail. Right, the a London police station, Paddington Green, which is a, an almost fortress-like police station where serious offenders of all kinds are usually taken because it's so difficult for anyone to break either into or out of. Um, a uh, young man has been arrested by the London police. He turns out to be a Northern Irish Catholic nationalist. He's arrested on suspicion of having bombed um, or set off some explosions in England. There's uh, dynamite and other explosive materials under his bunk. And after the London police have finished interrogating him, which is part of the play that we don't see, they bring in an expert from the Royal Ulster Constabulary, that is the Ulster Police Force um, headquarters in Belfast, and they bring a star, as they say, a, an expert interrogator to come in. Now, he happens to be Protestant, as most of the Royal Ulster Constabulary officers are. So there they are, one on, uh, banging on the other, the Protestant uh, Royal Orange Gorilla, as he is referred to, questioning this tough little suspect, uh, the Catholic nationalist, in a London jail. So. There are those divisions at work, not only Protestant and Catholic Irishmen, but also these Englishmen on the side. The one, the detective superintendent, the other, this very young cop who's riding shotgun under the interrogation and who has to watch and who in some ways becomes involved in the action very subtly. Brian, you want to add anything to this? That's pretty much it. Uh, again, the, um, the Ulsterman, Nelson, <coughs> has... That's you, the role yeah, you play. the role that I play. Has The interrogator has virtually a... A Jesuitical mind. He has, to his ultimate sorrow, figured it all out. And uh, at one of the points I think that Hutchinson makes in the play is that it, for an intelligent man, for a very intelligent man, the, the crisis is even more tragic because he can see the hopelessness of it. He can see the, 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 uh, the death of the soul that takes place. In fact, in a recent interview, Hutchinson said, and I think very tellingly, that even if the violence were to stop now, the effects of those pictures, those photographs, the, the reality of the situation around those kids are something they're going to live for 50 or 60 years. I mean, uh, the trauma is there. The trauma exists. And, um, and Nelson sees this and understands it. And we find out towards the end of the play that he's going through a, a, a personal remission, so you to see, speak. His, his uh, antagonist, the other is by the marvelous young Irish actor Jimmy James, Lancaster, James Lancaster, who's playing Roach, right. the bomber. Roach, he's Demon the bomber Roach. Yeah. So you and he, it's the battle between you and he, but it turns out later on, you and he are in the same ditch, do you recognize? And there's Harris, played by Jim O'Reilly, who's a very solid, good actor here. Mm. And the young kid who plays this, really an operator. The kid's almost a yuppie in police uniforms, <laughs> <laughs> isn't he? This kid, uh, Naylor. Right? Yeah, but Jim True from what he's before. Mm. And now and then we see flashes of the photograph of, of, uh, of Roach, Roach beaten up, obviously, by our friend here. In fact, that's an element of the police thriller in the play. You learn in the opening moments yeah. of the play that the young suspect was ultimately beaten up by the expert cop, Nelson, who comes in. And in fact, as the play unravels, you, you begin to understand the circumstances that led to it, although you never realize until very, very late just what the actual timing and the um, motivation behind that was. That is, in, that is very much a thread through the plot that's, yeah. that's almost like, as I said, a police thriller and underlies the ideological squabble involved. Underneath all that, of course, we come now to, to Nelson, that's Brian Dennehy, 
and neath all that is they're looking. The British, you know, they can't beat this guy up, not a hand laid on him, mm -hmm. you know, because that'll kill the whole, even though they may have the evidence on the guy. They found stuff under his bunk, you know. That'll destroy the and so, but why did this guy do it? That's the why did you right? Why did he destroy the case? Yeah, especially for someone like him who is a pro, who has been down this road many, many times, who understands the uh, workings of the British judicial system as well as anyone does. And why would he do it? Why would he? And that, of course, is the mystery of the play. And the interrogation is going smoothly. It goes all according to plan. I mean, the he he breaks the kid down. It works. He says at one point, uh, he says, he, of course, a, a lot of it is out of scorn and a lot of it is out of humor. And he's talking about Roach. Uh, should Roach ever decide to try to leave the uh, provisional IRA? And he says... Um, you know, you know, the guy is an expert. We're talking to Brian Dennehy now doing, doing uh, Nelson, the R.U as he sometimes put it, the royal ugly constabulary. And he's questioning and breaking down this skinny kid, this nationalist kid Roach, played by Jimmy Lancaster. And he's like an expert. But now we get a hint, don't we? He's gonna, he wants to put doubt in this kid. The rat, the rat in the skull is the doubt. Yeah, right. But we know something's happened to Nelson, don't we? I, I would hope you get a little taste of it in the first act. Yeah. You know, because in the second act, we know he's, he's in a mess. But the first act, I've been trying to get just little signals that there's something wrong yeah. with him, too. But he's so good hey, at what he's doing. He says, not interrogating, investigating. An interview. <laughs> in the meantime, you got this slick kid, this little kid on the make. Oh, this throughout. The humor, of course, comes from all sources. Now, you were, the guys are talking about leave. Your, your leave is taken away from you. Yeah. And this kid wants to make it pretty good, no blemish. Then you got the part that Jimmy O'Reilly plays, this guy Harris. He just wants to put the whole thing to bed. He's the cop, the bureaucratic cop, who uh, is probably going to get painted with the tar brush if this thing blows up as it already has. So he has to find a way of explaining the whole situation because he's, he's, otherwise he can't keep his skirts yeah. starched and clean. And he's trying to button the whole thing away. The playwright sees uh, that role, the, the role that Jim O'Reilly plays, uh, Detective Superintendent Harris as the one fellow with who's trying to make an effort to understand all this. That's I mean, true. He, I think he sees him as the good Englishman, the man who whose expertise is used to try to figure out what's going on and, and whose conscience bothers him when he can't, but ultimately is defeated by yeah, his whole Yeah, but he's still a technician. <clears throat> see, he's still the technician. The captain's got to cover it. And he can't help it. Being what he is, he has contempt for both two guys in the ditch again. You got the Royal Ulster Constabulary guy, the interrogator, Brian Danahy, Nelson, and you got the nationalist kid who's in jail. And to him, they're both patties, aren't they? Yeah, that's right. You know, it's a wonderful thing. Cared me. You don't mind free association. I was in South Africa about, back in 62, and I was interviewing the head of the South African Broadcasting Company, Afrikaner, very pro-apartheid, Carl Douglas Fuchs. We never use the word kafir anymore. Kafir. <laughs> we don't use that word anymore. That no, was we progress to We him, respect right. them. In this last night, I saw Brian Dennehy say to this kid, English kid, don't you use that word patty anymore. Right. You know, what's the other word? Don't you use or Orphenian Mickey, bastard. Mickey, Tag, Orphenian bastard, yeah. yeah. Tag is, is one that we're not familiar with in this country, but that's one that's used very much in Ireland, Tag, which refers to a Catholic uh, Ulsterman. But uh, Mickey, of course, and Fenian bastard. But it's, uh, yeah, I, Nelson is finding, has found himself 
in fact, Ron talks about it all the time. When, when Ron was very young, he was moved to Coventry. And here, Ron and, Hutchinson. Ron Hutchinson, the writer. And Ron had always lived in Northern Ireland, and being a Protestant had always assumed that he was British until he got to Coventry. <laughs> and they very quickly informed him that he was not British, that he was a patty. Yeah. So, and, and of course, when he was living in Northern Ireland, uh, the, uh, he, uh, everyone took great pains to point out that he was not, in fact, Irish, because you had to be Catholic to be Irish. So it's, it's, it, the play is very much about identity, who, who these people are and why they are what they are and why they're trapped into these historical roles. Just as you're saying that, here's an item in a local Chicago paper from uh, Belfast. Uh, Orange Day, you know, it was in July, in the Battle of the Boyne, July 12th. That's the day the mm -hmm. Orangemen the big parade. Celebrate. Yeah, that's the big one. And trouble. So the tragedy of Ireland, the one political actor, is that the working people have been divided both. This is the right now unemployment is hitting the poor Protestants as well as those right. always hit the poor Catholics. And now they're getting it. The unemployment is the ghettos are pretty much the same. They've been divided. The difference is exploited while their similarities are ignored. And of course, this is the discovery that was deep, deep, the rat in the skull of mm -hmm. Nelson, Brian Donahue throughout the similarities. Sure. You know, when you pick up the newspapers now, um, you can't help but notice this exact same problem popping up all over the world. I mean, look at the Sikhs and the Hindus, or the Hindus and the Muslims, for that matter, in India, battling each other. They're really the same folks in the same ditch. No. Or the, the Christian Lebanese and the Muslim Lebanese in Lebanon, the same exact thing, sort of brother against brother. I mean, uh, the obviousness of that is, is so great that it, it's almost... Um, transcendent that you just have to look at a world map and you can put little stars in it, like every six inches on the map where the same thing is going on. We've had, we had a, a similar ter terrible incidents like the, that in, in this country where for years race riots would take place between two uh, groups of people both of whom were economically and socially uh, excluded from the mainstream of American uh, existence. I mean and that irony, that terrible... All throughout. In the same item, just as Brian Denny is saying, the Protestant workers are beginning to feel the effects of an economy falling apart. For years, they have gotten jobs and housing in exchange for their loyalty to the crown. Now they look around at what their loyalty has gotten them. Not much. Just enough to stay slightly ahead mm -hmm. of the Catholics. There we have it, don't we? Yeah. These, I suppose it makes this play powerful, aside from the writings of the poetry the writings, the giftedness of Ron Hutchinson, and by the way, this cast is fantastic in your productions, Steve, is that it's the universal theme is there. That's what Goya is all about. We come back to exactly. Goya, don't we? Yeah. It's, it is a, uh, it's something that, you know, every once in a while you get a chance to do a piece in the theater where uh, if, if a person goes to the play with an open mind and is prepared to receive, they will walk out of the theater changed. And... Uh, uh, not only changed in terms of their perceptions of what's happening in Northern Ireland, but changed in terms of their own life, and, you know, an understanding about themselves. And that's what this play is. I mean, the universality of it. Things are just not as simple as they seem to be. I mean, there are truths that, uh, that have to be perceived again and again to be understood. If you've ever had a belief, I mean, I say this to potential audience members, if you've ever held the belief so strongly that you thought you might just come to blows with people, if not downright shoot somebody over it, then I can virtually guarantee that, that, that seeing this play will, if not undermine this, certainly cause you to question that kind of commitment. 
And that's what the magic of this play is. It's the best piece I've ever seen on internecine sectarian warfare. You should pardon the elaborate academic description. But there's just no way you can't go home and start thinking about why you were so angry at the other side of the fence for so long, and if it's fair to be so. As we're talking round and round about this play, it's exciting. As you point out, it's exciting theater. It's tremendously exciting theater, of course. It oh, yes. Yeah. And it's exciting, and it's funny, and it's a, it's a very special evening in the theater, we, we think. And we have to speak also of a tour de force here, of Brian Dennehy here. There's a, a, throughout the play, but there's about a... We, we, we know of Hickey in The Iceman Cometh and the tremendous confession of Hickey, the revelation. It's incredible. O'Neill again. has <laughs> The name mm, O'Neill figures right. in this. Well, perhaps ask you about the O'Neill reference in the play. Not Eugene, but... Uh, centuries and centuries mm. ago, O'Neill. But in Hickey, we know it's about a half an hour, a 35-minute soliloquy confession by Hickey about his wife and everything. Yeah. And here we have this guy coming on, making his entrance, Brian Dennehy, this guy, Nelson, the RUC guy. And in it comes history, himself, of mm. the world, the all is in it. Sociology of the... Yeah. The games, the, the shibboleths about both Protestants and Catholics, he makes fun of, of, the, uh, of the assumptions the, uh, on both sides, the, the basic uh, discriminatory attitudes that people have. And he goes through that, both for the Catholics and then for his own people. And uh, he goes, goes on, and it's beautifully written. It's, uh, it, it's an amazing piece of writing. Yeah, one spot, you talk about the universality. Stephen mentioned that and how recognized. Even phrases used about them. On welfare. That's right. We come to that. You see, we That's come right. to uh, hear the Irish. Naturally, <clears throat> I want to exploit uh, Brian Danahy here, but let's call it a rehearsal. Because <laughs> I want to hear some more of his, of his offerings. Uh, as a, but the part where he's talking about uh, this kid, Roach, whom he's interrogating. The, uh, when he talks about the personal history of the man Roach. Right? Oh, uh, the family. That's right. right 26 yeah. in the family. Yeah. What are they now working? consumptive seemingly <laughs> now what are they living on they get national welfare, well, yeah they get they? welfare and uh, that's a, a constant reference that you know it, it, Nelson really uses it as a weapon I'm not so sure Nelson at this stage understands the the realities of that situation the fact that the uh, Catholics find it very difficult to get employment I think there's something like 50 percent unemployment among uh, uh, Catholic males in the north but th that also he uses it as a weapon he uses it to undermine Roach, to, to attack Roach, and uh, uh, to rattle him, just to shake him. And then, of course, he turns it around and uses it against himself, too. Yeah, which is, yeah. Yeah. And he points out that northern Irish Catholics, because they are governed by the crown, um, are allowed benefits of any citizen, any crown citizen, uh, welfare benefits, for example, unemployment benefits, the dole that he keeps mentioning. Those benefits are much higher, much more substantive than they would be if all the Irish Catholics in Northern Ireland lived in the Republic in Southern Ireland. And he points this out. He, say, he says, they don't want you down there because then they just got to pay all this and you don't want to be down there either because you're not even going to get as much money if you're down there. So it's very <clears throat> classy and subtle disintegrating of the Irishman's Yes, he's just trying to case. shoot his And the fact is, of course, that it's very difficult if you live in Belfast, Northern Irish Catholic, to, to emigrate into the South. Mm. They do put up barriers. They make it very tough because mm. they don't want the same problem there. Yeah. Um, it's so. very funny. Naturally, you, you think when you speak references made to welfare, naturally you think of someone putting on a black hair. Yeah. Well, particularly one with militant, you see. Bang! You know, 
funny. It's, again, you speak of the universality, even literally so. Mm-hmm. Well, how does that... You, you, when we talk about the family, his mm-hmm. father and his granny and the whole... Yeah, well, he starts out, he says... Uh, this is when he decides to take off on Roach, and he, he's making fun of him, again, trying to break him down, not that any of this is, should be taken literally. Yeah, now you see that. I was Brian... Uh, I'm reading do, doing Roach, Jimmy Lancaster. Thing. I'm sure you'll hear from Mr. Lancaster. This <laughs> yes, evening. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> oh, about well the reading. Oh, we should. <laughs> by my mistake, I, I pulled a bone at Jimmy Lancaster. Yeah, we should have read. Jimmy. Should have on the show. And this is a, an apology, Jimmy Lancaster. <laughs> for me, especially. I had you in mind. But we wanted to balance out the. Uh, had you in mind literary. for it, and perhaps we can have a. I wouldn't mind a replay of this sometime, with sure. the, the four members of the cast doing pieces. You know, if it's yeah, if it's well, okay with it. Wisdom Ridge. We should point out we haven't point of vital statistic. We're talking about Rat in the Skull by Ron Hutchinson, the Irish playwright. You'll be hearing, and no doubt, I'm sure, rave reviews and audience reaction. It'll run for about, we trust, we say about six weeks. Six weeks, yeah. Perhaps longer, but better see it. At Wisdom Bridge Theater, Wednesdays through... Sundays. Sundays. Two performances on Saturday. Two, two on Saturdays. And uh, a Sunday matinee. And two, evening. And two performances two on Sunday. Two Sunday. <laughs> yeah, i got to do it five times. On and a Wisdom Bridge, we know, is on, on Howard Street near Ashland, 1559. Yes. Got it right. And it's a good track record. But this is triple uh, A, quadruple A. Now, you got Roach, the young uh, nationalist who's in prison. And you got Roach. And he brought up history, 400 years of it, the battle, rising in the moon, the first rebellion, and before that. Now, the RUC guy, Nelson, he, he brings up history, further. too, history throughout. And then yeah. it goes into a certain moment long, long before it became religious battle. Right. Religious with Henry VIII, wasn't it? <clears throat> yeah, he sent the, the gang of Protestant, I guess, nobles over to start those O'Neill plantations. Was, uh, yeah, O'Neill was one of the first. Before that. Uh, a thousand years ago. A thousand years ago, yeah. That story may be a myth, but it is part of the mythology yeah. of Northern yeah. Ireland. And O'Neill is the guy who... Yeah, O'Neill of the O'Neill. O'Neill was the, the king or the conqueror or the lord of Northern Ireland, and he is the patron saint, if you will, of the Northern Irish Protestants. And... Um, yeah, there's You're a speech... about the race. You're going to do that. Yeah, there's a speech that... Uh, Again, uh, all of this, of course, is, is very much muted because we'd break the microphones if we did it the way yeah. we do it. <clears throat> but he's, he's angry at, at, at a lot of things, prim- primarily himself, but he's talking about history, which is very important to the play. And, and there is a character that he refers to in the middle of this speech, which is this British cop who is just sitting there and who has told us repeatedly that he could care less about Irish history. This is that young cop. Yeah, the young uh, Irish cop. So, so when I make that reference, you'll understand what it is. But he says, um, history again. Your favorite subject, Mr. Naylor. Or maybe just a story, but what the hell. So long as the story's a good one and one well told. The mist of time. The whys and wherefores. Long off tales of far ago. Ten centuries ago. That long ago when the High Kings of Ireland dwelt in marble halls. And your forebears, Mr. Naylor, were still squatting in mud huts beside the Thames, waiting for football to be invented so you'd have something to do with your brains. The land of Ulster is up for grabs. Fair country, 
place of mists. Oh, boy. Yeah, of course, it's a legend, you know, myth, yeah. but, boy, necessary myth. And, and both sides have it, too, <coughs> history yeah, and we, myth. Last night, we were having a drink with our costume designer, Sarah Davidson, who told us that her family is, in fact, Northern Irish Protestant, and that when she grew up, her father actually used to tell her this story of O'Neill chopping off his hand and throwing it onto the beach in order to be the first one to touch the land and hence claim it. He used to tell it to her as a bedtime story. I found it somewhat <laughs> yeah. gruesome, but it, it was an attempt like, yeah. to help her understand yeah. her roots yeah. as a Northern sounds Irish like a Protestant. Sounds like a Protestant bedtime yeah. story. <laughs> we know historically, too, <clears throat> later on, when uh, the Church of England was formed, Henry VIII, we also know that there was the importation of 100,000 Scots and the displacement from and the Irish, Irish yeah. you know. That was 1609, I think, around the time of the late Battle 15, of the Boyne, the Late 16th, that. early yeah. 17th century, which, of course, is the source of, of all of the problems. But as Nelson says, look, we've been there, too, for 400-and-something yeah. years yeah. now. That's right. You know, and think of these kids now. Let's think for the minute. Uh, the, the British soldiers who were there, these are kids, working-class kids, a lot of them Scots, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, scared stiff, probably. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I don't, I don't think there's a question, but the British government would pull out in a minute, except for the, you know, because it cost them a fortune to stay there, and, and it's not popular war by any means. But they do have a commitment to the Protestant majority, which sees itself as very British, and um, it's a very, you know, it's, it's one of those situations that the British have been able to get themselves into all around the yeah. world, and this is probably the last place. Yeah. It was the first one and the last one that they were able to extricate. You mean a, a tottering empire catching <clears throat> up with itself, finally. Yeah. Well, they've been, you know, as, as, uh, as Roach points out, you've been kicked out of every place around the world, and why don't you get out of here? Well, the fact is I think the Brits would like to get out, but it's yeah. very difficult to get out of that situation. Actually, he says, you've given away so much of your <clears throat> empire. Why don't you give away a few hundred more bloody... Acres. Uh, it's really at the height of his passion. He says this in a rather eloquent speech. This, this. By the way, the, there's so many dimensions to it because more and more we get into the person of Nelson, the part that Brian Dennehy plays, and they're looking for excuse. He beat up the guy, and it's a violation, and that kills the whole case. Well, they mm -hmm. had two years pursuit. Now, why did he beat up the guy? And meantime, this this English inspector, Jimmy O'Reilly's role, mm -hmm. Harris, got to find an excuse. Maybe. So he looks into his personal life now. His yeah. wife, death of his father, that becomes fascinating. Yeah. Now you have all kinds of connotations here, don't well, you? As, you? as you see, the, the expert from the other side of the pond, in this case the English detective superintendent, try to use the same kind of subtle and uh, oblique interrogation techniques on the expert, yeah. the star himself, and to see those two thrust and parry with each other is a very good scene. Yeah, the second act is a very different kind of play. And, and now you're in the dock. Yeah, I'm, you're being interrogated. I'm being interrogated, and uh, and Nelson. Well, I don't want to give too much of the plot away, well, but Nelson. He, I think it's Madagascar to play it so powerful. Yeah. <laughs> well, ahead. Nelson. Nelson has obviously, as we find in the second act, Nelson has gone through a, a very massive personal uh, trauma, um, having to do with obvious situations with his wife and his father, but also. Uh, he's just begun to question his entire life and what all of his assumptions uh, his job his work his success everything turns to ashes and uh, it's a very uh, moving uh, 20 minutes or 30 minutes uh, if it's done right and and yet beautifully poetic and very funny and uh, 
it's all there. And um, it's, it's, it, it, if, to whatever success we have is a testimony to Ron Hutchinson's talent, which I think is extraordinary. When Ron, when we were talking <clears throat> about uh, the, the right ages for the various personnel in the play, um, he told us that the character that Brian plays, uh, that those officers of the Royal Ulster Constabulary who specialize in anti-terror technique, as Nelson does in the play, are usually younger than you think they are. He says they just burn out too fast. They just mm. can't do it. You, you never see anybody he, he thinks over 45 years old mm. doing it. There's no way somebody's doing that until he retires. They'll just, they're out of the service before that. Um, uh, and you can see why when you see the play. So they burn out. That's interesting. So there may be an aspect of truth. Well, the truth, Rob. Oh, yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. in, the, in the role of uh, Nelson, no Brian's question role. about here. Collapsing, yeah. These just... guys... They're in the same ditch. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> also, something happens with propinquity. More and more are you with Roach. More and more does something happen between the two of you. More with you than with him. Because mm -hmm. he's committed, you know. And you seem to be committed. Well, the, Nelson has made what, what shouldn't be an error, but which turns out to be an error, which is examining his life. Yeah. Roach has not examined yeah. his life. Roach is responding, reacting. Nelson examines his life and finds that it's worthless. Uh, and he suggests that maybe at some future date, Roach will do the same. And maybe he will. Maybe, but after he does something <clears throat> to, or his colleagues do something to Nelson, yeah. there's a hanging in, there's a great line there, the line throughout is, let's get on with it. Mm -hmm. Let's get on with it, the connotations, the euphemism for, yeah. you're gonna beat me up? Well, Be there's two ways. We don't know about, we, know, we don't see the beating up at all. No. Yeah. Well, Nelson takes it too, as, uh, at one point, as saying, well, let's get on with it. Let's move ahead. Let's move ahead. Let's try something different, which he does. And, of course, it blows up in his face. But at least he tries. Yeah. We have a little more time. I want to, you know, I'm looking for... I want to seduce Brian into reading Doing the whole more. play. It doesn't <laughs> take much pressure to get him to do it. No, no. Because we have a little time. There's a hook for me in that smokehouse. To remind the audience again, this is what theater is about, as I said earlier. And, and uh, just as the Goya, in my mind, watching it, I thought I couldn't help but think of that incredible Goya thing that's in the Prado that this art critic talked about. He talked about it then, some several hundred years ago, a few hundred years ago, and these two guys in a ditch. It's, it's, a, it's a memorable, a celebrated painting. And here we have it in the play, particularly uh, from the eyes of these two guys. There's one speech that uh, Nelson makes, which I think characterizes, too, where he finds himself at the end of the play, which is that, uh, and he puts it in a very interesting analogy, uh, having to do with patrolling uh, the streets of, uh, of the uh, Catholic ghettos. And he says... Uh, And uh, that's really what the play is about. Yeah. The, that's a, one of the playwright's most delicate and detailed e expressions of, this, of the idea that there's no way to understand all this except to go back and look where all the turns were made falsely and, and correctly along yeah. a thousand years of history. <coughs> to examine yeah. that was the only way out of this. You know, talking about this play, yes, Steve Rodman, the director, you were saying earlier about the different places in the world where it's happening. Same color. Mm -hmm. Also, same economic status, too. Exactly. <laughs> we'll come back to class again, mm -hmm. whether it be in Lebanon, the Christians in the 
and and the non-Christians, the Muslims, Shiites, yeah. or whether it be in India, the Sikhs and the and the Hindus, you know, and, the other, and so you you have the same thing. And Birmingham, right come now. Back to, huh? Birmingham in uh, uh, in England in Birmingham. Right, the last two days, moment. another group of of, of folks who feel exploited are yeah. busting out again. And fifty percent unemployment uh, yeah. in Birmingham and. Uh, uh, the, the again is another classic situation in Birmingham because the riots started in Birmingham between two groups of exploited peoples, the black uh, Caribbean uh, West Indian population, West Indian, West Indian and population, Asiatic. and the Asiatics, yeah. the, and the Asiatics of uh, Pakistani and various groups who have the little stores and the little, they were burned out by the uh, by the West Indian population and attacked by the West Indian population. I mean, what, what an incredible. Yeah, frustrating irony. Do you remember this, there was a certain moment in, in right now in the South African troubles? Exactly. Yeah. When in near Durban, Durban is uh, to a great extent many Indians in Durban and colored, but Indian primarily. That's where Gandhi, you know, right. practiced. Uh, and there again, the blacks and the Indians, Attacked, the, the yeah. merchants. Talking about the merchants again. Yes, but very small the storefront car. businesses. I mean, the, those. The only people who would. Along. The only people who would go into those neighborhoods and open stores. Yeah. You know, as in Birmingham, would okay. be the would be the uh, our poor, desperate, yeah, Asians and so forth. Peddlers. Work long hours yeah. and try to. So we're coming back to the so the situation is universality, but not only universality. Now we you look at the Greek aspect, the Greek tragic aspect, eternally. Well, there's seems. a kind of the 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 ineluctable kind of drive forward that inevitability that people always talk about in Greek tragedy is, is certainly in this play where yep. there's sort of no way getting around the fact that it's going to end up as Brian says in one of his lines clang on the head for clang on the head together in, in the ditch no matter which way you turn it'll end up that way which of course is the essence of the tragedy and of course it ends the play ends with the hanging we know that something's going to happen to Nelson mm. inevitably not that he doesn't want it to happen to him. Yeah, I think Nelson has given up. But Nelson tells a wonderful story at the end. And he says, in the framework of a joke, and he says, uh, and there it is. That's yeah. the Irish, you know, the tragedy yeah. and the comedy in yeah. the same breath. So this is, and there's one other point before we go into the opening that is a conclusion, is that when uh, the English inspector, Jimmy O'Reilly's role, uh, Harris, says about them, and somewhere along the line, you say about Roach, he's, he's my the, own. He's my own. Hmm. Now, O'Reilly accuses him of turning on his own. And yeah. Nelson turning says on his own. own. And Roach wrote, that's, of course, he used up his hate. Yeah, he's, he's, he can't do it anymore. Yeah. He just doesn't believe it anymore. So he sacrifices his life, hoping that at some point in time, someone will recognize it and maybe do something similar on the other side. But not this time around. Well, we're talking to Brian Dennehy, who's a memorable performance as his three colleagues. That would be uh, uh, James Lancaster, Jim Jimmy Drew. Lancaster as as Roach, and Jim O'Reilly as Harris, the inspector, and the young actor who's very good, Jim True. Uh, Jim True as Constable as, uh, Naylor, the young kid mm. on the make <clears throat> at the Wisdom Bridge Theater. Rat in the skull is the doubt in the head, and that's at the Wisdom Bridge Wednesdays through. Sundays, Sunday. twice on Sunday, twice on Saturday at the Wisdom Bridge in its theater. And thank you both, Steve Rodman, director, and Brian Dennehy, very much. And let's close as we began.